students to thrive. And here are your hosts, Dr. Rhoda and Professor Marty. Welcome back. Uh, in today's episode, Dr. Rhoda is going to help me because uh, one of my sons is learning how to drive. We're at the uh, infant stages of that, for lack of a better term, and I was just sharing with her before the podcast how what she's talking about today is so hard to do. <laughs> um, so it's developing self-sufficiency in youth, and that requires an awful lot of work, or at the very minimum, a, a different framework with how we approach challenges. Yeah. Do you find your children or students becoming really reliant on you to guide them through everything? Yes, I do. <laughs> do they want you to do things for them that they really can do for themselves? Uh, one of the attributes of young people that go on to become well-adjusted adults is that they have a sense of independence or self-sufficiency or one of the professional words for it, we call it autonomy, a sense of autonomy, right? So what can we do as parents and teachers to help develop this in our young people? And why is it so important? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I think right now with just the, the mix-up in ed, remote learning and kids being home and parents, teachers being further away from their students, parents being with their students all day, every day, this just is a topic that kept coming up in my mind of something that I think this is a good time to reflect on and learn lessons during this time right now. So that's kind of the, the context of this. So struggle is healthy. It's a can, part... can you just say that again? <laughs> because it is really so important. Yeah, struggle is healthy. Okay, we don't like it, but struggle is healthy for us. It's a part of developing into an adult. And it's definitely a part, a significant part of learning. So how do we offer space to allow children to struggle for themselves and to learn to become resourceful and resilient, and here's the key, without getting to the point where they become super discouraged and just give up? So how do we find that balance to where they're gonna be frustrated, they're gonna be annoyed, they're going to struggle, but that's okay. We don't want it to go so far that they just throw in the towel. As a joke, my wife will say, you know, honey, don't exasperate the kids because it, it, teaching in, in your DNA, yeah. you, you like order and you like control and structure because it prompts learning, but you can micromanage. Mm -hmm. And I'll admit I do that at times. And you so desperately want to give them step-by-step -step instructions so they're successful, but in the process, you're really shortchanging it. And so, yeah, I need to work at that when I'm on the passenger side <laughs> in the front seat when my son's driving. We're going to break that down in just a second. But first, let's discuss why this is important. So why do we want young people to have a sense of autonomy? Why is that important? We need to prepare our youth for the world that lies ahead of them. Our job as parents and teachers is to equip them, right? And that's what this whole podcast is about, equipping them to thrive. So when the, they become a mom or a dad someday, you know, I'm sure you've realized this, there's no manual. There's no company that you can go to or consultants you can hire where they, they tell you, you call them and they tell you what decision to make when there's a tough decision to make. We need to be able to figure that out for ourselves. Life is filled with tough decisions. Do I take this job and move to another state or do I not? Uh, my company is doing something that's not noble. Do I report it and risk losing my job? My teenager is spending time with kids that are a poor influence and she started to get into trouble. What do I do? Those are just a few of the challenges that we may face as adults and, and there's no training manual for this. We have to figure it out on the fly. So our experiences are what train us for this. And so our young children need to gr learn how to make these decisions, not these kinds of decisions, that, but when they get to be adults, they're going to need to. So how do we start training them for that now? 
when I like, like to think of this, the analogy that came to my mind was, how, think about learning to drive a car. How did you learn to drive a car? Well, if you're like me, the very first thing was I observed, observed an awful lot of it, right? I sat there. Back in the day, I could sit in the front seat between my parents because my three older siblings oh, were in the sure. back seat. Okay. No, have stand it half the time when I was little. <laughs> uh, and so you watch mom and dad drive. And you watch what they do and you watch how they do that. And you get older and you get really excited for the time when you can. And then you get to try it on a little bit. Like they'll let you back the car out of the driveway. They'll let you, you know, take it to an empty parking lot and kind of figure it out a little bit. Um, and then eventually you get control, but in a limited way. Like you're behind the wheel. You, you're doing the gas pedal, the brake pedal, the steering wheel, putting in. But they're there with you and they're giving you guidance. And then eventually you move into full autonomy. So see those four stages you watch it, you begin doing a little bit, you begin doing it more but with close supervision, and then you do it independently. That's kind of the steps for equipping that I just see all throughout life as we watch how we learn things and how young people learn things. In my role as Dean at Wisconsin Lutheran College, I support our career development and internship programs. So I get a firsthand glimpse of what employers are looking for when they're hiring young people who are fresh out of college. And here's one of the reasons why I think autonomy is so important. One of the pieces of feedback that they're giving us repeatedly is that they want young people who can think for themselves, who don't need to be told what to do. And, and you're seeing that from, from your perspective, from your angle, uh, in education, school of ed, hiring teams, they want someone who can think for themselves. They don't have time to, to, to baby step them along the way. They'll provide quality mentoring, but they do not want to have to tell them step by step by step. They want them to be independent-minded professionally. Yeah. They are not interested in hand-holding, right? They want mm -hmm. them to feel confident and independent enough. And so they want new employees who are dependable, who are faithful, who are trustworthy, who can work with others well, and that they can be self-sufficient. That's what we're t they're telling us. So they see a job that needs to be done and they do it. They don't have to be told what to do every step of the way, right? And so how do we start training our young people for that. I have several friends that are employers who hire, and they will say that some of the young people that they're working with right now are a tremendous challenge because they always just tell me what to do next, tell me what to do next, and they want them to start thinking independently because they're busy doing their own work, right? So what makes me nervous is I've seen, and I have seen a rise in students saying, tell me what I need to do to get an A, right? And I always want to reply, you need to show me you know how to think. <laughs> but I don't want to sound snarky, so that's not what I say. I say it in a nicer way. But many of the young people I know are terribly afraid of failure. And I think one of those reasons is because our society, you know, when you watch cable or the news, et cetera, um, people are always have this image of being successful. I mean, yeah. I have yet to come across a Facebook note where someone failed miserably and was posting that. Right, uh, right. It's just not something our society likes to talk about, and yet so unbelievably valuable. It's very, very true. And there's some fascinating research out on identity development. I've, I've mentioned this in previous podcasts by the Barna Institute that's saying that this generation, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love this generation. They are some of the kindest, most compassionate, most creative thinking young people. Um, but they are finding a significant amount of their identity from being successful. And that's just a dangerous place to find our identity. So if they think that they're not good at something, if they fail at something, then they're not worthy, which is just we want to avoid that at all costs, right? And so, you know, these young people are very afraid of, of failure. In fact, some are crippled by it. And yet we know that failure is a part of learning. It's part of growing up. When we first start driving, we may get in the fender bender. <laughs> okay. True confessions here. Funny story. <laughs> When I was about 14, 
My parents had a car that was a, you know the old station wagons that had wood paneling on the side? I do. So ours was avocado green with the wood paneling. I always joke that they forgot to take our car out of the crate or <laughs> drive around with nice. the crate still on it. <laughs> so I'm about 14 and I love washing cars. To this day, I wash my car every week. I just It's very therapeutic to me to wash my car. And so I'm back, I asked mom if I can back the car out of the, this is Arizona. We didn't have a garage. We had a carport and there was like an angle that you had to back out of. And I asked her if I could back the car out of the carport and wash it. And she's like, sure. So I got her keys and I'm backing up and I'm being so diligent and vigilant and I'm looking in the rearview mirror and I keep turning my head and I'm looking behind me little did I know that I had to make that little bit of a turn crank the wheel to back out and I took out the post with my front left <laughs> corner of the car because I was looking behind me and not paying attention to where my front end was going right and so I learned a significant like uh, lesson yeah, from you, that. You, you're talking about it today so it was it, was, it really impacted <laughs> yeah, yeah. you unfortunately the post you know the, the carport stayed up it didn't like kill the post but it did scratch some paint off the car and so here my idea of trying to make the car clean, now I've got the car scratched. Um, but anyway. And I it, bet you never made that mistake again. I did not. It so was a very, go. very good lesson. And nobody was hurt. So uh, how, how, can, how can we do that? We, we're going to make mistakes. It's okay. So, so much of our education, by the way, just so you know, that's the same car. that Because I'm the youngest, I ha- always had to sit in the very, very back. And that's the uh, seat that faced backwards. Remember those Yes, yes, wagons? I do. Yes. So the only time I ever knew where we were going was when we were backing out of the driveway. <laughs> Now you're really, you're really bringing back memories. My my parents said yes. You know what I'm talking about? Brown Dodge station wagon oh, yeah. sitting in the back. That was yeah. my world. Everything was backwards. Yeah, absolutely. So, so this explains a lot about us, Professor Marty. <laughs> so so much of our educational system is having young people follow directions, and I know we grew up in that same kind of system. And and if I think sometimes if students can follow directions well, they can get an A. But is that really what our objective is? Is our objective for learning that low be able to follow directions? I mean, there's definitely a benefit to being able to follow directions, and and we don't want to downplay that, but that can't really be our final goal. Is that what determines excellent work? I want my students to be able to think and problem solve for themselves. The world needs them to bring their full creativity and problem solving skills to the challenges that we're facing. So as we've been going through this time of remote learning, I've been pondering, what can we learn from this time about student autonomy? Students have not had access to their teachers all day every day. They haven't been able to ask a question and get a reply right away. They may have had to be patient, work through a problem several times, but considered consult different sources before they came up with their answer. And that's a really, really good thing. So how can we take that same lesson and apply it back when we're in the classroom again with our students or when we're parents at home with our kids? So now that we know why it's important, let's start talking about some strategies, okay? So I'm a huge fan of discovery learning, uh, very similar to project-based learning, very similar to interest-based learning. They're some of our best strategies for getting children to think creatively, critically, and independently. So giving them a real-life project to solve, which makes it very relevant, makes it very engaging. They understand why they're doing it. They have to think through all the different steps. Usually it's cross-discipline and solving a problem. You're using math, you're using English, you may be using history or context. So when parents take their, for example, when parents take their children with them to do a service project, children get to see a model of service. They get to see their parents serving, but it also grows empathy for others, right? Uh, Those mirror neurons, which we put ourselves in somebody else's shoes and see what their life is like. 
And then they learn that they can do something to contribute. And, you know, they go along on these service projects and they're helping out a little bit where they can. And then eventually, when it's age appropriate, they can become involved in their own service projects. So it's that, those same steps as driving a car, right? You model it, you see it done, you start dabbling in it, you do a little bit more with close supervision, and then you're on your own. Uh, that's how we can get kids involved in service. Uh, teachers, when students are working on an assignment and they're asking questions and they seem to continue to ask the same question over and over again, we can develop hint cards for them where we make up cards with hints that we give to them and it's the same kind of hints that we would give if we were sitting there standing right by their desk answering their questions, but they need to work through the hint cards before they raise the hand and ask for help. And ideally the kids make the hint card because they're capable. And what's great about that is you're directing the learning, you're helping them with self-assessment, yep. which is so often missed uh, in, in these days. Really, really powerful, but it takes time, it takes patience. But once you do that, it's going to take a little bit of time to develop the hint card, but then after that, you're not running around answering the same question from 15 different kids over and over again every day, right? Right. And one of the things, just looping back, one of the things I love about that variety of different projects is they each are approaching it, they're really forced to in a good way, approach it in their own way. And it's a great learning experience at the end of the day too because you, you, you meet the objective and yet they approach it differently. They're not copying, they're not cheating. And then everybody's discussing how they went about it and it, it's really, really rewarding. That's one of my concerns with rubrics. I'm a big rubric fan because I don't think my students should have to try to read my mind and figure out what I want. Like what makes a quality, what are you looking for? What makes a quality assignment? I believe in telling them the objectives and what I'm really looking for. But I also want to be careful not to give them too many specifics because I, I end up with cookie cutter assignments. I end up with 20 assignments that all look exactly the same. Boy, now you're really having my blood blood pressure go up here. <laughs> yeah, one, of, one of the things I really struggle with is I, I love the rubrics for the framework, mm -hmm. but then you have students who say, ah, you know what? It's only worth three out of the 20 points. I'm really not going to give any effort to that because I figured out I can manage to get the grade I need to. Mm -hmm. And you're right. And then, may, sorry, may, we may be running out of time on this one, <laughs> but I really go back and forth with should I show uh, sample work, student sample work, or just really gently force them to say, here's the framework. Now you get to create it yeah. to fit within the frame. Yeah, it's a really... Really? Wow. I could go on. I, I think yeah. it stunts learning sometimes. I personally believe that if I'm going to show them sample work, I have to show them a couple of different samples. Not so only can the see exemplar, that it right? It doesn't always get, so everybody doesn't do exactly what I showed them. For instance, one of my favorite examples of this, when I taught sophomore English in high school, uh, we did a unit on Julius Caesar. Not necessarily what most 15, 16-year-olds no, are getting I excited really about Julius Caesar, excited. right? excited. Still, I'm not. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. And what I found was that my students really got into this unit because I gave them some choice in the assessment of it. I said, my goal, my overarching, and I had a rubric, my overarching goal for this assignment is for you to show me that you understand the plot. But how you do that, you're going to have some autonomy within that. So here's some examples of things you can do. You can dress up like a Roman citizen and come in with your toga and come in with some food and explain, be the herald and explain what just happened with it, what you saw happen with Julie. See, Caesar. I would have enjoyed being in a class like that. <laughs> Unfortunately, I did not have a similar experience. Yeah, so. I know. And I, yeah, but, but, but that wasn't just it. That was one example. You could make a quilt. I had students make quilts. You could make a cartoon strip. You could rewrite the ending with a different way act it out, have your friends act it out, videotape it, show me you understand the plot. The one that made me the most happy, I had several young men in the class on different occasions who really struggled. They were very good at working with their hands. They were good with hands-on kinesthetic stuff. 
they made a life uh, to scale, not life size, to scale replica of the forum with a legend of what happened significantly in the plot in all the different places. They were made out of toothpicks. They were made out of marshmallows. They were made out of Legos. They were, f and the guys got so into that project. And you better believe they learned, right? Yeah, because absolutely. you allowed them freedom, yet they're still learning what you want them to learn. Right. So give them a framework with the rubric. And then give them some possibilities and then say, or come up with whatever you want. That's how the quilt came up. A girl came up and said, can I make a quilt? I'm like, wow. sure. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, that's a sense of autonomy and they get, they get much more engaged in it as well. When a student asks for help, uh, just a couple of other ideas, right? I'm kind of a fan of what we call student cues. So you know how when kids are doing group work and you've got seven hands up in the air and you don't know who raised their hand first and who you're supposed to go to next? This works pretty well with older kids. Just before you start the project, right up on the board, student cue, and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And when a student has a question, they've got to try to figure it out amongst their group first. But when they can't, somebody goes up and writes their name on the board. And then they go sit down and they continue working on it. I look up at the board and I see who's next. And I go to that group and work with them. And then when I'm done, I go back and erase their name. And then I go to the next group. But while I'm talking to other people, you need to continue working so, on what the project because is. Because so often what happens is you have four hands or, or more raised. And so you're going to help one person. The others are just, you know, that, that, that's, that's downtime. Their hands right. raised. They're getting they're tired. And they're not they're, thinking. Yeah. And they're not trying to solve the problem on their own. Yep, really, exactly. Really, really good point. Or they're annoyed because, hey, my hand was raised before that person was, you know. And she went to them before she came to me. And I can't keep track of it all, right? Cause so... So it's just a nice way to, to, to organize that. Let's see, a couple of others. This is maybe for a little bit younger kids. There's a neat one out with um, solo cups to where you can have a red solo cup, a green solo cup, a yellow solo cup, and a blue solo cup. And as kids are working in groups, the red, I'm sorry, the, the green means, the, they put the green one on top of all the others. They're stacked. The green one means we're all good. Everything's good. Yellow means I have a question, but it's not a tremendous hurry. Whenever you can get here, we could use help. Red is we're stuck. We can't go any further. And blue is we're done. I can look around the room and very quickly assess where my groups are and who needs help and what's going on. Nice little strategy that works well for some. Um, and then I'm just always a fan too if they're doing group work or working in smaller groups and doing independent work, guided practice, you know, and they're kind of stuck before they ask the teacher. I want them to use their resources. Is there somebody else in the classroom you could talk to that po could possibly help you with this? So, you know, just trying to develop that sense of they don't always have to go to the teacher for help. And they're learning that in real life, they have to make the decisions on their own. Yeah. And if they don't know the answer, they need to appropriately seek it out and can't just go to Google and, and Alexa. Look for their resources, yeah. So moms and dads, you know, I, my strategies here were aimed a little bit at, um, at teachers, but it's the same type of thing at home with our kids and, and developing a sense of autonomy when they ask for help right away. Are there ways you can say, well, how else could you figure this out? You know, what, what could you do? Could you ask a sibling? Even just, I think, as we start giving them age-appropriate chores, in the beginning, they're, like, it might be a struggle to do something. They might struggle, like mowing the lawn might be challenging or cleaning the pool or cleaning the toilet or wiping the dishes or whatever it might be, but supporting them and showing them how, how the right way to modeling it for them and then giving them a chance to give it a try and giving them your feedback, and then eventually, once you've explained what your expectations are, how it's supposed to be done, then they get to just do it on their own. Well, I can tell you, Dr. Rhoda, I am going to take uh, these lessons with me next time I have a driving uh, episode with my son. Uh, the only one that I'm hoping won't come true is the fender. 
And if it does, it's not the end of the world. That's right. Yeah. Our goal in Five to Thrive is to equip and support educators and parents as they help each child develop to his or her full God-given potential. So here are five key takeaways from today's episode, Developing Self-Sufficiency in Youth. Number one, awareness that struggle is really healthy. It's absolutely something that students, children need to do. Very, very beneficial. Uh, number two, teachers, parents, guardians, uh, don't solve your kids' students' problems. Okay, Don't do it for them. Number three, instead, uh, model how it's to be done. And number four, in, in order for this whole process to work, uh, teachers do need to provide room uh, for autonomy, room that child can learn and grow. And, and number five, uh, so hugely important, uh, kids need to be able to make kid-sized mistakes. Thanks for taking the time to learn with us. Let us know how you're doing. If you have questions, challenges, or successes you want to share, please let us know through the comment section of our website. May your week be blessed.